Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hello. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Gillette. (laughs) (laughs) Just just sold out. (laughs) Just kidding. It's not brought to you by anybody anymore. It's just the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. Welcome. Thank you for listening. So we're going indie. We're going indie. Yeah, we don't need no sponsor. Uh, so in the past couple of weeks, it's obviously been a pretty slow Browns news cycle. But you guys took the time out of your busy schedule to record a podcast for the people uh, when I was out of town because you care. Um, and uh, not did, enough, apparently. Yeah. What happened? We need to fire our audio engineer. Is really the issue. We need to hire an audio engineer. <laughs> is the issue? I think. We're so, maybe not paying enough. Oh, uh, the. Truth be told, the fact that we've gotten through two and a half seasons of this, or whatever, and this is the first major like, technical error we've had, is a modern miracle. Yeah. Um, we just lost the audio file. I don't, I don't really have a better explanation than that. We recorded a podcast. It was very timely. Talking about Gerald McCoy, talking about minicamp and everything going on. It was the day that Joe Thomas fired a bunch of shots at Tony Grossi. It was, just buried Tony Grossi. It was a, it was a good repeatedly. pod. Repeatedly. It was a good pod, and it's just lost in... It was really just a conversation, actually, between me and Matthew, evidently, because... The angel share. <laughs> a conversation with a microphone in front of your face and headphones on your head. But no no record. That's hilarious. So we... Just uh, oddly sitting at a table <laughs> talking to each other. Probably cracking open a cold beer or two. <laughs> that did happen. Yes. So, so we apologize, but we haven't released a podcast now in four weeks. It's been since we record every two weeks, and we didn't get one out last week because it got uh, the file got lost. But um, we did get a chance um, in that time to call our grandfather. We always like to um, talk to him, so um, and we know you love to listen. So here's that. Hey, Grandpa, it's Matthew. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It sounds like you've got friends over. No, no, no. We just we just came back from the we just came back from down on a square, and uh, we were just looking at, at a movie. Oh. What's happening? Were you dancing? No, no, no. Oh. We just just sitting. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, not a whole lot. Just sitting here with Michael. Figured it's been a while since we've given you a call. Um, I don't think we've talked to you since the draft, right? Pardon me? I don't think we've talked to you since the, the NFL draft. Oh, yeah, that's right. It, those Browns didn't draft anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say well, that? Well, all I, all I pay attention to is, is the, uh, the, first, the, first, the first pick and the second. They didn't have a first-round pick. So. I don't think they. I don't think they. They really didn't need anybody. I think they just went through some of the motions. Don't you think? Uh, I don't know. I think. I think they did a good job. They handled some depth and picking Greedy Williams, who was most people expected to go in the first round, and they got him in the second round. Um, I think that's pretty good value, at least. So hopefully he can be a solid starter at corner on the other side of Denzel Ward for a while. So I think. I think they did fairly well. Well. We'll see. I think we got some. Good, huh? I think we got some good linebackers that are going to help our depth. Um, I mean, it's third round and fifth round picks, so make of that what you will. I, I don't think we can expect those guys to come in and 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 light it up right away. But we desperately well, they, needed bodies at that position. 
Yeah, if they need bodies, all right, but these guys are probably going to be on bench warmers, you know. They're <laughs> uh, how's your dad doing? I don't know. We haven't seen him. He's been in Chicago for a week and a half. He doesn't he's get back. To come, he, he's supposed to come here at the end of, end of this week, uh, by the weekend. Yeah, they he, are. He, this is what he's doing. He's been in Chicago since, he, like, early last week. He stayed there through the weekend because he's got all this work to do. He's flying back to Nashville on Friday morning, and then later that day, he's going back to yeah. the airport with mom and with mom to go down to see you. Oh, okay, okay. So I, 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 he was a little bit sketchy. I didn't know uh, just when he was coming. I didn't know what what day he was going to be here. I didn't know how long he planned to stay here or anything else. But I I knew it was a side trip from. One of his business business uh, trips, you know, and I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even think he told me that your mother was coming. So there you go. Do we need, do we need to talk to him about his communication? Does, does he need to? <laughs> yeah, well, you can't because he's got, he's, he's got, he's got his computer and his telephone with him. <laughs> if you want to talk to him, if you want to talk to him about anything, you got to get him away from the computer and the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> Too yeah. easily distracted. Yeah, uh, well, he just uh, he just can't get away from the telephone ringing. I mean, you sit down and have a little conversation with him, brings him the phone rings, he's on the phone for a half hour, and then he puts it down to the computer, and then it's always something. After a while, he, you know, we didn't it didn't have ten words. I said, "Well, it was nice seeing you, son." You know, <laughs> <laughs> he leaves. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I don't suppose that's good. I don't suppose that'll ever change. But <laughs> uh, he he can't seem to bear to not answer the phone when it rings. I know. I know. Yeah. So it's you know that's that's his business. What's he going to do? You know, you 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 got to roll with the punches. Heavy heavy as the crown. You know. <laughs> <laughs> The shade. Uh, (laughs) All right, Grandpa. Well, Well, we're looking forward to seeing you in a little bit whenever you make your way up here. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, too, and we'll we'll, uh, make a nice few beers while we're building a crooked treehouse. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Yeah, sounds great. (laughs) Okay, guys. All right, see you, Grandpa. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Grandpa taking shots. He's really let, let, d- dead out there to dry. <laughs> he did say he did say heavy is the head that wears the crown. I so think that's I think that's heavy, praise. Heavy is the crown. Heavy is the crown is, but I think that's what he was alluding to. Um, I think that's praise. Yeah, <laughs> backhanded, but yes. <laughs> oh, we love you, Dad. Absolutely. Um, so I figure, uh, in this podcast, we'll go back and we'll rehash what you guys talked about two weeks ago for the people. So some of this stuff might seem a little <laughs> antiquated because it's been a couple weeks in this modern news cycle. But gosh darn it, we got to go on the record. We got to say what we need to say. You guys had some good thoughts last week, so let's talk about those things. One of those things that seems like it happened so long ago is Gerald McCoy. He's not a Brown. He signed with the Panthers. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to be a Brown. What were your guys' initial gut reactions, if you can recall? <laughs> uh, who? Gerald, Gerald McCoy. McCoy. Hmm. 
let me think. Defensive tackle. I mean, this was like the everything everybody was thinking about, refreshing Twitter, waiting for his decision to come up. Like, it really was, like, significant. With the Browns, we know that we need depth at defensive tackle. There's no doubt. I think the biggest takeaway for me in the Browns having a really intentional pursuit of Gerald McCoy was just an indication that they see that that is a need. We didn't address it in the draft. We went after Gerald McCoy, and we missed there. So now how do we fill this hole in our roster? Because if Larry Ogunjobi or Sheldon Richardson goes down, like we're relying on either Trevon Coley or Carl Davis or players of that ilk. Chad Would- Thomas. Chad Thomas has been getting all these defensive end reps. He should be playing three tech, but he's not. So, anyways, we don't like he's the depth. He's going to be playing in the XFL, like, real soon. <clears throat> Man, he's playing second team. That's a weird situation. He's going to be playing through your headphones pretty soon. Uh. <laughs> he's built for the XFL. Just but, to be like... But legitimately, how are we going to solve this defensive tackle depth situation now? I liked the idea of Gerald McCoy being on a roster. He definitely makes us better. I wasn't so keen on how much money we'd have to pay him and the effect that was going to have on our roster going forward. So I think this does give us some more flexibility. I like that we still have over $30 million of rollover to deal with going forward. But we do have a significant need at defensive tackle, and I think they're going to have to do something. Hopefully, that gets solved. I think the best-case scenario is end-of-training-camp type cuts, and we get to pick somebody up. We've still got, we've still got 80 days until the, the start of the – what was it? The regular season? I don't know. It might be, might be the preseason. Yeah, and we're not going to have a good waiver position. So I said cuts, and that's actually probably not the right way to look at it. It's probably going to be like a training camp type trade, which those happen a lot, where it's a late round draft pick you give or a pick swap type situation to get a player. And I would think that that would be the best route to go. We've still got time. I think the takeaway from from the Gerald McCoy situation is not that not not that we were were unable to land a player. I mean, it sounds like by all accounts that that he he chose to go to Charlotte. Due to, due to family reasons, and then also because the Bucks just took like a, a scorched earth approach to to getting rid of Gerald McCoy and signed Indomitian Sue for for similar money as soon as they sent him out of town, and then gave his gave number, the number away. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Gerald McCoy is like, "Yeah, I'll play them twice a year." Like, yeah, screw you guys. Like he he wanted to be in a, a, a similar city and play twice a year. I think the fact that Gerald McCoy came out and said that he wanted to play on a contender and have a chance to make the playoffs and win championships, and the Browns were one of the three teams that he looked at, speaks volumes. Yeah. And also the fact, uh, the thing that I'm most excited about is that he didn't sign with the Ravens. Yeah, yeah Panthers, no, this is the I best. Wanted. In, a, in addition is... to the fact that the Ravens offered him reportedly twice the guaranteed money that he's getting with the Panthers. So, I like, all that to say, he was going to the Panthers, like, you can miss out on a player without like losing the competition for a player. Like at some point, there's just it's not worth things outside of your control. Well, you and given all the money in the world. If you look at all the scenarios, I would prefer to have signed Gerald McCoy for a reasonable cost. But if he was going to go somewhere else, I definitely wanted him going to Carolina versus Baltimore. How much did he end up signing at Carolina for? It's it's kind of an interesting contract where there's escalators and stuff like that, but it's basically it's somewhere north of 
eight million as like his like guaranteed base, and it can go up over ten. I think. Oh, I would have paid him eight million dollars. Yeah, I think I probably would have too. It's a matter of how many years that is and that sort of thing. Um, but anyways, no Look, Gerald McCoy. I'm not gonna lose sleep over the fact that Gerald McCoy didn't come. It would have been nice. Oh, you it know what? Other a interesting, really interesting like three man rotation. Another interesting note that came out after the fact when people were asking McCoy how he came to his conclusion, a key factor for him seemed to be the camaraderie and the locker room in Carolina and how they treated him and the vibe that he got between the players. That he clearly didn't feel the same way with Baker Mayfield and you know whoever else he spent time with or talked to in Cleveland and also in Baltimore, like that clearly stuck out, and that was one of like the key aspects that he harped on. Hmm. So I, I don't know if there's any if that says anything about the Browns. It might just be that the Panthers pushed the right buttons in having him spend more time with players, whereas he spent more time with the front office in Cleveland or something. You know what I mean? Um, well, Jared McCoy is an absolute ham. If you yeah. remember Hard Knocks, he was by far the most entertaining player on the Bucks. whenever they did Hard Knocks. I can't imagine how spending time with John Dorsey could be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you spend time with that guy and you don't want to Walks just come the door. here? Walks through. Oh, you're a big buddy boy, aren't you? <laughs> What's up there? All right, what's the next subject? All right, so another thing that you guys talked about last week that we're going to rehash. We're getting right into it. Aren't you so pissed that OBJ is not showing up to OTAs right now? Oh, jeez. No. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but I did love, did love, and I mentioned at the beginning that we talked about it, but I did love Joe Thomas's direct retorts to Tony Gersey and all of his comments and the back and forth that, that occurred. It was just... Uh, a beautiful thing to provide some perspective from somebody that's played in the NFL for 10 years. Yeah, Joe Thomas finding his voice with his new new NFL Network gig. Um, so what all exactly did he say? So basically it was, it was in, in retort to Tony Grossi being pessimistic like he always is about Odell not being at OTAs. And Joe Thomas said, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, Here's the reasons why. The, the, the gist of it was... First of all, it's voluntary. Second of all, every player responds differently to like an NFL season. So each player has a different like method for getting ready. So some players should be at OTAs. Some players need to get their body right, need to get their mind right, need to do whatever to, to get ready to play. And Joe Thomas used the example of the last like eight years of his career, he would show up to OTAs to get these workout bonuses but he would just what he'd call like work through them. And so he wasn't actually participating on the field. He was just training. Like like in the He wasn't doing the drills gym, on the like field. Working he with was, the trainer. Yeah. Like he happened to be there, regimen, but he wasn't. You know? And how how is that hardly any different than than not showing up at all? And at the end of the day, it's voluntary. Exactly. That's the thing. And that where blows does that my get lost most? in all of this that it's voluntary? And every time Freddie Kitchens or anyone of importance was asked about it, that's exactly what they said. No, it's not a big deal. It's voluntary. How, so, yeah. funny is it, how funny is it that all of these things, like never have we ever had so much coverage over non-stories. Oh, yeah. When you start to get some we're, expectations and you have good players and We're like stuff, the damn like, Patriots. <laughs> just mm. throwing things our way. I think right now the Browns have the, for the odds to win the Super Bowl, the Browns have the fourth highest 
fourth best odds to win the Super Bowl in Vegas right now. Damn right we do. I'm not betting on the Browns to win the Super no, Bowl. No, right I now. wouldn't be either. It's crazy. It's just the expecta- It just shows the expectation level. And I think that line has moved because there's been so much action on the Browns. Even yeah. even this week, people are picking Baker Mayfield as the favorite to win the. I saw Kay Adams picked Baker as the favorite to win the MVP. Well, I would potentially put yeah. money on that. I don't think that's that much of a stretch with Munkin also his mind in after what Freddie did whenever he stepped in. But all the weapons that Baker's going to have. But there's a report this week that the, the Todd Munkin offense is is well, it's Freddie's from who being implemented from who. I, I don't remember most likely Mary Kay Cabot. Nope. Tony Grossi. Nope. National media. Oh, oh, it was uh, JLC. Nope. No, You're Mike Silver. Closer. Yes. Yes. Mike Silver got a beef. Got a bone to pick. My goodness. I don't listen to crap that Mike Silver has to say negative about the Browns. <laughs> He's just butt hurt because his buddy is got ousted and is is the laughing stock of the previous Cleveland Browns regime. Well, the entire nation. I mean, yeah. The worst coach in NFL history statistically. Right? <laughs> he yeah. has to be. Oh, no. Objectively, like the worst coach in NFL history. Even even with the 8-8 eight eight in Oakland. Oh, he's got to be. Even record-wise. Uh, there's maybe, a couple, be maybe a couple there's coaches. There's got to be worse. The Browns Coach probably have. Two well, games. no, not for the just the Browns tenure. Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, but it came from Mike Silver, so I I legitimately don't put any sort of weight in those words. Well, another thing is it's not completely Todd Munkin's offense. It's still going to be Freddie Kitchen's offense that he implemented at the end of the season. Freddie's still going to be calling plays. Like they're going to be implementing some of the ideas that Munkin is bringing in, and that's the whole point of having an offensive coordinator. But it's not going to be a completely new offense. Yeah, I'm not worried about it, and it's also still June, and so um, Hugh Jackson is the second. Worst head coach in NFL history by overall record. record. Yeah, who's worse? Um, some guy named Burt Bell. Who did he coach? Who went ten forty six and two Whoa. for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers from nineteen forty six to nineteen fifty nine. Oh no, that's when he was commissioner of the league. Oh man, <laughs> was this before or af- that was after his coaching career? <laughs> How did that happen? That man, was before the AFL NFL merger. Man is a politician. Yeah. Just like you. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so another one of the things you guys talked about is talked about chugging beers. Hmm. You talked about um, David Bakhtiari. Um, there's that video of him chugging that beer. Um, he's an offensive lineman for the Packers. And then it's on the Jumbotron, and I don't know what game this was, but then after David Bakhtiari chugs a beer, it pans over to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers gives a little nod and then tries to chug a beer, but it's it pales in comparison. He chugs a beer like I would chug a beer. Let's be <laughs> honest. Like it's no better than anything I could perform. So but I'm not he... going to take the opportunity to laugh at Aaron Rodgers as m- the Bakhtiari thing is just unbelievable to me. It is wild. It he looks down, like he's taking a shot. He downs like three beers, and each one is about two and a half chugs. It's just like whoop. whoop no, he whoop. just like pours it down. Some oh people my. can just like open the gullet and just like yeah. I, I don't know how that's physically possible. Have you mastered that, Mark? I have not been able to open the gullet yet. No? Hmm. But that is how I refer to it. All right. Top five NFL quarterbacks at chugging beer. Like current 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 NFL NFL quarterbacks. 
Because um, Brett Favre would be really good at this. <laughs> Let's be real. So we're talking current NFL quarterbacks. Do we have to go in order? Because I'm just going to throw out some names. Yeah. No. no. Um, ben, ben Roethlisberger <laughs> looks like your basic just, wow, dude. you're a total douche. You probably chugged a lot of beers he's, in your he's day. He's bound a few beers. So, so His fat face also s- signifies yeah. that he has drank a few too many beers. Ab- absolutely. I, I don't think anybody can doubt that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be in the top five of this, this list. And, and the best part about this whole Aaron Rodgers video thing is the subsequent videos that have come out. So we have video evidence of a handful of other quarterbacks. We have video evidence of Stafford, of Josh Allen, of Pat Mahomes. There might be one other one. But Matt Stafford, of those, was clearly the best chugger. Has earned his spot. Has earned a spot in the top five. Georgia boy. Real solid. Southern boy. He also has the same face structure. Fat fat face. Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He does. Of a beer chugger. Yeah, he does. All right. So I think Matt Stafford and Ben Roethlisberger are solidified in our top five. So a a great answer, although not technically a starting quarterback in the NFL right now, is Blake Bortles. Mm. Is there any doubt in your mind that Blake Bortles can just put a beer down? You're on the face fatness thing right now, aren't you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No doubt. Blake probably, in the years that he's had in the NFL, the past couple years, he's probably had to put a few down. Oh, man. Yeah, okay, so Blake Bortles. I think we throw that one in there, too. Who else is coming to mind? Well, I mean... Because Matthew and I went through this exercise, actually, but I've got a couple others. I want to know what you're thinking, Mark. Well, I mean, obviously, yours truly, Baker Mayfield, is a complete dog. There's no doubt in my mind that he can chuck a beer with the best of them. He had his time at Oklahoma. What a man of many talents. I'm so jealous. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I'm sitting across the table with Baker Mayfield and he's like, you want to chug this beer and put some money down on the table? I'm saying no and every it's a, time. It's exclusively confidence. I'm up. Like, like his, his dancing, his beer chugging, it's all just, hell yeah, I can do that. And I'm positive that he can better than I can. No doubt in my mind. Our, boy, right. our boy Baker Mayfield's definitely going to get in there. Um, all right, so, so we came up with one more. Those, those, all those quarterbacks that we picked are kind of like the, the white frat boy stereotype. Mm-hmm. Jameis Winston. You're saying on the other end of the coin. Hmm. Jameis Winston can definitely put a beer down. I, I would venture to say that he had already put a few beers down <laughs> when he stole those crab legs <laughs> from Publix. Yeah, Jameis can definitely. Fat face, too. That's the <laughs> defining <laughs> factor. That is, is, that, is that what you guys came up with? Were there any other names that were tossed around? I think that is the gist of what we... What we came up with. I'm trying to think of the opposite end of the coin. Who cannot chuck a beer? And Andy Dalton comes to mind. I don't think he could even drink a beer. Like, if he sniffed an IPA, he'd be like, nah. Like, Eli? Yeah. How does Eli do if he's asked to chug a beer? Oh, the another name we came up with was Philip Rivers. Oh, yeah. No, Philip Rivers could. <laughs> no doubt. And be, like, very intense about it. Oh, he's angry at the thought of just the competition. Oh, Philip Rivers, no doubt. Andy Dalton couldn't. Um, what about Russell Wilson? Would he? I feel like he's the type who's good at I everything. Think he's, no, Russell, he's, he's also like Rogers. a little like too. No, like, Russell. Wilson, yeah. I think Russell Wilson might be able to do it in like a classy way, like Legolas in Lord of the Rings. Like he's just putting them down, doesn't bother him at all, just drinks it clean, no big deal. I'd be Where willing to your, guess Russell's in the Aaron Rodgers camp. Your Ben Roethlisberger is more of a Gimli. Just <laughs> sloppy. 
<laughs> I'll take any opportunity got the to foam. talk about <laughs> the foams everywhere, Foam it's froth and forth. <laughs> but who's the number one? Who's the best at that? I think it, I think it might be Baker. I think you can make that argument to anyone. You got to put money on one of those guys. I'm I'm going Bortles. There's there's no doubt in my mind. Roethlisberger is the best. All right, so this Bortles is, was this known is, to frequent the Jacksonville Beach bars when yeah, I lived there. There's no is, doubt about this that. This is also the guy. A couple weeks ago, the news he was being interviewed on. I think it was probably the Pardon My Take podcast because he goes on that all the time, and he was talking about the reason why he bought a Tesla, and he bought a Tesla because he was trying to stop dipping. And so he figured if he never had to go to the gas station, he wouldn't ever buy dip. It doesn't work, apparently, because he could just drive to the gas station and buy dip. Bortles wins. Bortles wins. That is hilarious. He bought a Tesla to Blake, stop dipping. Blake Bortles can chug a beer like better than any NFL quarterback. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. All right. Blake Bortles goes Here to him. Go. Bortles gets the crown. Um, if any of you have any better suggestions or if we bypassed anyone, hit us up on Twitter. Send us an a, email. We a, would love to know who else we missed. This is a fun topic of conversation. There's a good chance we did. How was, you said Pat Mahomes had a video. I can't see him chugging a beer. I wonder how that was. He was fine. It was, a, it was a group chug. It was him and others, and it was in a bottle, and so you can't tell how much is actually in it and whether he finishes it or if there was ever anything in it in the first place. So he kind of gets a disqualification. It was a low quality. Okay. Yeah. You really need that, that plastic, clear yeah. glass. Yeah. All right. Um, so moving on. Another thing that you guys talked about last week, which couldn't seem any less news right now, especially not pertinent to the Browns, Right now, but Dwayne Bow retired. <laughs> a legend gone. So sad. Yeah, there's there's a lot of NFL news going on. Uh, we're clicking through the the, the transaction wire, and and Dwayne Bow, Dwayne Bow, the legendary former Cleveland Brown. Oh my gosh, what a miserable miserable signing. Who was worse, Dwayne Bow or Kenny Britt? This is a really tough question. I think that Kenny Britt was worse. Ooh, really? Not at the signing. I'm saying that actually, like, in retrospect. Like, as a Cleveland Brown, Kenny Britt was worse than Dwayne Bow. Because at least Dwayne Bow sucked in practice, too. But Kenny Britt, like, th- I think they thought he was going to be fine, and he did enough to earn, like, playing time and then just completely crapped the bed whenever it came to game time and had so many drops at such crucial points. Poor Deshaun Kaiser. Kenny Britt was the worst. That Cincinnati game in the red zone, dropping that ball, went right into the Cincinnati defender's hands. Just over and over again. Time and time again. Dwayne Bow had five receptions (laughs) for 50 yards for the Browns. I'm actually well, surprised was, it was, was that Kenny many. Brits? I thought it was like two or three. I mean, five really bad. for fifty yards, ten yards per catch. I mean, and we paid him a decent amount of money too. Oh, it was a good amount of money. Oh, I mean, geez. Kenny Britt played for like what four games before yeah. he never played again. All right, Kenny Britt had eighteen receptions for two hundred and thirty-three yards. How many drops? It's not even close. Does it say there? Uh, I don't have it handy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Kenny Britt's stat line was better, but... But Kenny Britt did have more than five drops. 
and only 18 catches. Oh, he definitely had more than five drops. And the wound is I mean, so much fresher. Think about that. That's ludicrous. Yeah, that's pretty bad. How much should we pay each of them? That's another That's another. Kenny Britt factor. was $8 million per year, I know. Dwayne Bow, no idea. That's interesting. Both terrible. Don't get me wrong. Okay, so here's what... This is an interesting what if. What if Drew Rosenhaus doesn't talk Terrell Pryor out of that deal? Because what happened was... We tried to re-sign Terrell Pryor and gave him about that same deal that we ended up turning around and giving to Kenny Britt. Because they had the exact same production the previous year. They had really similar production. They were both free agents. Pryor said, no, I'm going to bet on myself. Ends up taking a one-year deal to prove it and has just flamed out, essentially, at this point. He's still trying to make it in the NFL, but he has not produced on the same level he did prior to that season. What happens if we actually sign Terrell Pryor and he takes that deal? You have to think he would have done better than Kenny Britt did and probably at least maintain the same level no of doubt. production. It, it, had, it would have been so much better for everybody. A lot of Terrell Pryor's problems have been injury-related, too. Yeah. So it's, it's tough to know, but... Terrell Pryor's just waiting for Hugh Jackson to land somewhere. So he exactly, can... so he can go follow. Um, don't, oh, hug, gosh. don't hug your breath, bud. That would be the saddest reality to live in. Just waiting for my main man Hugh to get a job, yeah. so I can go join his no, team. I'm gonna ride you to the ship, <laughs> ride Pryor, your coattails. Prior signed in Jacksonville last week or the week before. Yeah, huh? it's not a bad call for him. That's great. Anyway, got a contract. He's getting a little old. He's 29 years old. It's a. He's getting to the point where it's put up or shut up. You, there's no more waiting on your potential. Nope. So speaking of old, Josh McCown just retired. Josh McCown, legendary Brown. What Man. were what were your favorite Josh McCown moments from when he was a Cleveland Brown? Great career that man had. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie. You can't say he didn't have a good career. When I like have a met, I have two mental images of Josh McCown as a Cleveland Brown. One of them is that very first game. I'm pretty sure it was Week One against the Jets, and he tries to jump into the end zone and just gets completely obliterated in helicopters and breaks his collarbone. He got hit in the head and in the waist at the exact same time by two men that were way bigger than him. Yeah. And gets knocked out of the game in week one. And it like, it ruined our season from the outset. Like it was just such a very like quintessential Browns, thing to have happen the real quintessential browns thing is that josh mccown was our only hope for that season yeah true <laughs> true i mean that was the one in 15 season where rg3 played the game whenever we beat the chargers so that was the first game of that first hugh jackson season oh it was so bad and then the other thing is i just think of him getting peeled off of the grass like, it's, like, literally, like, what I think of is him, like, Time face down, like, after getting hit and just kind of having to get helped up off the grass by Joe Thomas or whoever else. Time and time again. Dude was a fighter. Yeah. No, he's he's scrappy. And, I mean, one of my memories, just thinking about him, it's the game against the Ravens where uh, RG3 was hurt, so McCann was playing. McCown broke his collarbone during the game, kept playing, finished the game. Cody Kessler ended up making his next start the week after, and we signed 
touchdown Jesus, Charlie Whitehurst, the next week. But the fact that you can, like, he was the type of guy who broke his collarbone during a game and, and kept playing, which I've never broken my collarbone. Mark, I look to you for expertise. I can only imagine <laughs> that is a, a debilitating injury. Yeah, you can't do much. Can't do much. I broke my collarbone during a football game, actually. And I was did in. You, did you keep playing? I was in the seventh grade, and <laughs> I never even hit the ground. I was uh, <laughs> trying to rush the quarterback. I was playing outside linebacker, and the tight end chopped uh, inside, cut back, and hit me. I got sandwiched in between two guys. I uh, I immediately. Wait, you just got crunched. I just got two crunched guys? between two guys. The, the doctors. <laughs> The doctor's orders were that I was fine to play football again after I first broke my collarbone on a Razor scooter. Um, <laughs> and they said I was fine to play. So I went back in and played. I immediately just ran right to the sideline and yelled, I broke it again. It's broken. It's broken. I broke it again. And they cut off my pads and went to the doctor. And sure enough, it was. Did, was this like the first play? Like, um, you've gotten to play like most of the game. And then was it a game? Happened. Oh, it was a game. Okay. Yeah, they didn't. They, it was a preseason game, so they let me just play at the end of the game. I wasn't a, uh, you know, one of the starters or anything like that. I was just running in there at the end of the game, and yeah, that was actually. I think that was the last <laughs> down I played in football. I didn't play football again after that. It was it's, a career-ending injury. It's broken. Yep, I broke it. <laughs> I broke it again. It's broken. Yep. And uh, yeah, then we sued the doctor and made a lot of money, and that's that part's not true. Um. So yeah, it doesn't feel good. I would not go back into a football game, especially not to throw the ball. I gotta say though, it is pretty cool to see everyone come out of the woodwork to congratulate Josh McCown. Everybody today. loves Josh McCown. Like, there's not a single person that he has interacted with. It seems like that does not just absolutely adore the man and think the world of him. I mean, Dan Orlovsky, like, basically attributed him to being the person that he is. Like. His his role model is Josh McCown. That's awesome. It was awesome. Well, and there's been talk for for years, the last couple of years, that people are like, Josh McCown could be an NFL head coach yeah. today. Yeah. He wrote a Players' Tribune article announcing his retirement of the route he went. And about a th- a lot, most of it was thanking people, you know, in his life that sure. were a big part of it. It was his wife, his family. But... Literally a third of it was spent thanking his high school quarterbacks coach and talking specifically about his high school quarterbacks coach and how much of what that particular coach ingrained in him is like still a part of his DNA today. And like he hears his high school quarterback coach coming out of his mouth like all the time. That's awesome. I bet that guy felt great. <laughs> yeah, I hope that guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, now, that he, he must. That he guy's apparently to. a head coach somewhere in Texas somewhere. That's awesome. All right, so you guys said what you thought of when you thought of Josh McCown. When I think of Josh McCown, all I can think of is his jawline, his chin. <laughs> Looks like skinny Jay Leno. It is the <laughs> biggest chin I have ever seen. It's the most masculine-looking thing I've ever seen. It looks like a cartoon. It does. It looks like the crimson chin from... Fairly odd parents. <laughs> it's absurd. Um, I I love the guy. Grit, determination. I would, I would love to see him. Him on the I would love for that to be the new like NFL coaching trend. Is like, like young former. Go find a former a former player who can relate 
Isn't that amazing to, how to he gas, in, do that. when you talk about coaching, he immediately becomes young. He's, the segue to this whole section was how old he was. Correct. Yeah. He'd be older than a couple McVay. head coaches in the league. LaFleur? Oh, yeah. Taylor? LaFleur might actually be 40-something. What about Kingsbury? He's right around but, the same but, but age Zach as Taylor. What about is, Kingsbury? How old's Kingsbury? Kingsbury's right around there. It's like 40. Yeah. Yeah. He would certainly wouldn't be the youngest head coach in the league. No. He's certainly got more experience than some of these guys. So, in, in other major Browns news, um, the Browns are now staying in Berea until 2039. Just signed a new contract. It's pretty big news. So this came up on like the Cleveland.com site. I clicked on the article because it just seemed funny Like through 2039. like How did this come to be? So apparently their current deal was through 2029, and they just signed on an additional 10 years. And I come to find out the team doesn't own the building that they practice in. Their whole team facility is owned by the city of Berea, and they just lease it back to the Browns. Like, how did this come to be? It's like, it's a fine investment for the city of Berea, knowing that you have a pretty, like, consistent tenant. But at the same time, the Browns have left before. So, like, yeah, but if the Browns would leave, what do you do with this facility? But how much money does that actually make the city? I think it's a bunch of tax dollars. Yeah, that's true. That's where it's coming in. That's true. So, probably more money than Berea sees anywhere else. Yeah, no, it, they wouldn't do it if it wasn't financially like beneficial. I'm sure. But what would you do? But so, it's so funny. There, is this so many questions? What if they just wanted to build a new facility and they wanted to put it in Cleveland, which is not unreasonable? They would have the money to do it. What What would you do with the facility? Yeah, like go target an XFL team. Okay, like, but what's and have funny, a super nice yeah. facility for. But what's funny to me is they don't own the building. So, like, how do these conversations go when, like, Haslam and Alex Shiner come in and they want to, like, redo the whole building? Do they, like, ask permission to the mayor oh, of like, Berea? It's like tenant improvements, man. <laughs> yeah. They, you just go do it. Go do it and then take that money off your rent. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, I'm... It would be hilarious Is this a common situation? Do all NFL teams have this situation in place? Where they rent... Yeah, where someone else owns their facility. I mean, the stadium happens all the time. It's not. It's not that. Yeah, it's the stadium. Like, yeah, but the, that's the different. The Browns don't own. That's Brown different because most of the teams, I don't think, pra- they have a separate practice facility. The Jaguars don't. The Jags practice at their stadium. Do they? They're like really? facilities at the stadium. It's all one place. Do they like practice on the main? Fi- they don't practice on the main. There's field. a there's, there's like a, a field separate. outside. They practice on. Do the Jags own the stadium? No. The city does. Hmm. I, I bet it's not that uncommon. And and I think that we were talking off camera uh, or off mic. Hmm. I, it, it had to camera have been. Camera would be so boring. It had to. Yeah. <laughs> you should have seen that conversation we had last week. Me and Michael just sitting at a table. Um, it had to be part of the incentive package when the Browns came back. Where where Berea agreed to throw in kind of a whole kind new of facility, this practice facility as a, as a way to entice yeah and entice the team to come back. You're probably right. All right, but good thing they locked in those terms. Yeah, they're set. They're lock, set until lock them in early. Twenty thirty nine. They like to keep that that twenty year runway out there just in case. Gotta keep it safe. 
That is hilarious. All right, so one thing that's actually been going on in the Browns news recently is all of this drama that's gotten stirred up by mostly Mike Silver, um, known hater of the Cleveland Browns. We can just call him that. Um, No reason really to believe what he's saying, but there is all this shade being thrown at Baker Mayfield saying that the rest of his teammates are unhappy with his comments on Duke Johnson, which essentially Baker Mayfield just said, um, what what's going on with Johnson right now is self-inflicted and that when it all comes down to it, he's just got to do his job, which is direct quote from Bill Belichick, something he says all the time. I don't think it's an inflammatory comment at all. I don't see why this would be such a big deal. Michael, didn't, he also, on it? didn't he also say something along the lines of like, if you want to be here, like we're working. And if you're not going to be here, like we don't, it was basically like, get off the train. You're get either the on the train. train or you're off. Right, right. That's yeah. what he said. You're right. Um, and that's just echoing something that's been said between Baker and Freddie already, like on the record. Like they've been saying either you're with us or you're against us. If like, you don't wear brown and orange, you don't matter. Right. Like this has been a consistent theme over the off season, And so I don't think that's any different. And the comments we even got from Duke – we're like, yeah, I'm not happy with my situation, but I'm going to be professional about it, and I'm not going to cause a stink. But yes, if you're asking me, I would like to get traded because I don't think that I've been shown the respect that I deserve. And to I, be honest, like, I'd be kind of pissed if I was him too. Like, the dude has done nothing but perform. He's been present and available his entire career. They s- do over and over again, they keep signing players to replace him and to take touches and carries away from him, and he still performs, and he goes and does his job, and it just happened again. Like, why do you need Kareem Hunt? In his mind, he's like, why do you need Kareem Hunt when you've already got Nick Chubb and me? Like, Absolutely not. We don't need Kareem Hunt. He's absolutely yeah. right. And then the thing that is interesting to me about this whole Duke Johnson thing is that anyone in like our seat that's like analyzing it from the outside, whether it be an actual like media personality or some of our other podcast friends that are out there, or you know Brown's Twitter people, they seem to be pointing to that John Dorsey comment in the Kareem Hunt press conference, where one of the last questions he was asked was, "Does this make Duke Johnson trade bait or whatever expendable?" And he goes, "Not yet." Duke, no. I wouldn't, not yet. And that was the term that he said was not yet. And they keep harping back on that being the reason that Duke is upset. And I'm not so sure that that's what it is. I think it's just in general him being on the trade block. Like, and I think he was on the trade block. Always. From the moment that that happened. Like, I think it's funny that they're like harping on that, like one comment publicly. Does that strike either one of you as odd? I mean, I think that it's a certain amount of disrespect for your owner to say that you're not expendable yet. And clearly, oh, it was Dorsey, like, it wasn't. Yeah, or, yeah, Dorsey, the general manager, your boss's boss, to be dangling you on that string when you've done everything you possibly could for this team. I think it's a reason to be upset. I don't know if that's specifically the reason Duke's upset. I mean, can you really blame? Duke, I mean, That's, you're, yeah. you're a running back in the NFL. You have a, a limited lifespan. You just spent the last two years of your life, like, not getting enough touches on a team that didn't win crap. 
and now you're third on the depth chart. Especially when you see what Alvin Kamara is doing in New Orleans, when you have like basically a the very similar skill set and how he's being utilized. The thing is, I would hate to lose him, particularly for his receiving ability. Like if Jarvis goes down and but like that's we what need Kareem like Hunt can do too, I mean, but like you're not out of the backfield. But I don't think that Kareem Hunt's running routes the same way that Duke Johnson can run routes. But so we but we do this all the time. We haven't actually seen Duke do that in a game. Like it, it's one thing to be yeah the, he does the the running back that can line up in the slot and like Michael's be, not talking be about a him good being receiving in the slot. Threat. Yeah he is. Yeah. Oh you are. Mm-hmm. It's like a nice like toy to talk about, but it's it's different when it's actually in the game. Like if push comes to shove, when we need a slot receiver, it's not going to be Duke Johnson. It's going to be somebody that we sign. It could be Duke Johnson. I say we get rid of Jarvis and we just sign Duke Johnson to half of Jarvis's money, and then. Well, that's the thing. This is another thing too that's killing me. Is people are at- acting like Duke Johnson is costing the Browns a lot of money. We were singing John Dorsey's praises whenever we signed Duke Johnson to the deal that he's on because it's a good value. For how much he provides on the field, he is not expensive. He's only like $3 million this year. What did Jarek McKinnon sign for in the 49ers last year? It was like $8 million a year or something like that. It's like ludicrous. No, How is Duke Johnson too expensive? He's not too expensive. He absolutely is a good value, but we're not actually using the three million dollars that we're paying. The thing that That's I'm, true. the That's thing true. that I'm going to miss about Duke Johnson when he leaves, if he leaves, is his pass blocking. I want him sitting back there. He's the best pass protector of our running backs right now. He's certainly better than Nick Chubb. You have to think Nick Chubb will only incrementally get better on that front, and Kareem Hunt's pretty good. Yeah, Nick Chubb has all the tools for sure. I think it's just a tough a tough thing for rookie running backs to, to, to catch up to. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's an underrated part of Duke's game. And the laughter whenever he's, like, hobbling to the sideline after every other play. Speaking of he's... scraping yourself off the field. <laughs> but he's never actually hurt. <laughs> well, he keeps playing at least. Oh, yeah, which great. is just a more of a testament to his oh, grip and a reason why we should keep him. Is it? Didn't uh, Jim Brown have a have a, a quote about that sometime where he said something to the effect if he would always like get up off the field slowly so his opponents would never know if he was actually hurt or if he or that's if funny. he was fine. That's, I feel like that's what Duke Johnson does. <laughs> just except just always Duke, make them think you're hurt. And then always actively never expect it. Actively limp off every play, <laughs> which is like the opposite of so many other players. They pretend like they're never hurt. Um, so Pete had an article, um, that came out, I think it was yeah today. It was about Pete Duke Smith. Johnson. Yeah. Pete Smith, um, on Brown's Maven, um, talking about what he thinks the Browns plan for Duke Johnson is. And essentially he's making the case, um, that I can't really argue with that we're going to keep him, um, for the first eight games of the season. And whenever Kareem Hunt comes back, we'll probably leverage him and trade him for a, a team that really needs a running back, um, that's making a playoff push. Would you guys be okay with that situation? You think we can hold on to him that long and he's still? I don't know how in the world you get reasonable playing. If all our running backs are healthy and Kareem Hunt comes back, how do you give all those players the touches that they need? You don't. I mean, you can't. But it's also running back, which is a position that has a high attrition rate. Right. So I don't know that that's definitely the situation we're going to be walking into is a healthy room of those three running backs plus probably Dontrell Hilliard floating around. 
I think it's an inevitability that we're going to move on from him, unfortunately. Um, because if you look at Kareem Hunt, we're going to definitely have him for the second half of this year. And then That's just with how it. favorable the con- no, with how favorable the contract is and the fact that we can um, put a tender on him, either I think it's most likely that we'll have him for another year next year pretty cheap after putting a tender on him. You because no someone, one's gonna sign, take like a is gonna spend a first or a second round pick to take him, depending on which tender we put on him. So we'll get him for another year for cheap. Is my is my guess. Now like two and a half three million dollars or something like that. Whatever that tender ends up being, and that's <clears throat> gonna be pretty darn reasonable for Kareem Hunt. And if not, we get a first or second round pick, and I'm perfectly happy with that too. So it was a it. From a football and business perspective, <laughs> the Kareem Hunt signing was pretty smart. There's a big caveat there. There, there was. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's inevitable that that we're moving on from Duke. I think it's a matter of if it's before this season or at the trade deadline, which the trade deadline got moved back to, to week eight, which, which helps. Um, it's not week six like it used to be, so you can – play out those extra two weeks and, and, and see what happens. Um, I, I don't see a situation where Duke sees out this contract with the Browns. I just, I just, he's got three more years left. Yeah. There's, it's, it's almost impossible to foresee given Nick Chubb's presence here. Ooh, frog, <coughs> frog in my throat. Oh, it's still <coughs> there. My goodness. <laughs> you okay, brother? I'm good. All right. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, we'll figure it out. All right. <laughs> well, that's On the end. Of that note, <laughs> that is the end of our list. Matthew, you do the editing. You feel free to edit that out if you don't want to embarrass yourself, but leave it in too if you want to. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We appreciate you. Um, be sure to interact with us on Twitter if you have any ideas about who can chug a beer better than Baker Mayfield. Um, follow us on Twitter at Sin of Our Fathers, Instagram at Sin of Our Fathers, and send us an email, sinofourfathers at gmail.com. If you have anything you would like to hear us talk about, um, we'd love to interact with you guys. And we will see you up in Cleveland week three for the Browns-Rams game. Um, hopefully we can walk away with a win that week. We'd love to meet up with you. We'll probably be in the Muni lot before. 3-0. 3 and 0. Can't wait. If we're 3 that and 0 after be. that game, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's just going to be It's going to be absolute mayhem. That's oh, what it's going to be. No, but it's true. We booked we booked flights and we book and we bought our tickets for that game. We will definitely be there. We are for reals coming and we will have um, podcast sticker stuff to interact with you guys if you guys want to come meet us find us at the Muni lot. We'll see you there. Go Browns. Mm-hmm.